It is great being with you. Let me welcome all the services and campuses. We are so glad that you are joining us. If you have your Bibles there, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. Hope you're enjoying this series. I'm hoping that it's giving you some practical uh, help. And uh, we have another very important message. We're talking about exposing the enemy and overcoming, learning to understand how the devil operates so that we can overcome him. We can easily overcome him because we have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. Somebody needs to say amen. amen. God has given us all authority so that nothing would harm us and we would have the total capacity to live in freedom and victory. But one of the reasons that the devil overcomes us the way that he does is simply because we don't understand his nature. So we're looking at five names and titles of the devil in the Bible, and in looking at his names, it shows us his nature and how he attacks us and then how we can overcome him. Talked about Lucifer the first week. Pride is how the devil fell. It's how he uh, t tries to tempt us to get us to uh, come out from under God's covering and, and to sin. Satan is the adversary of God's word. We talked about that last week. He comes against the word, but we defeat him with the word of God. This week, we're talking about exposing the devil. And the word devil in the Bible means slanderer or accuser. It's a very different word from Satan or, or any other word. It means slanderer and accuser, and the devil tries to divide us from every redemptive relationship in our lives. And there are four relationships the devil does not want you to have. And whether you realize it or not, he's always trying to separate you from four relationships. Number one is God. He wants to separate us from God. We'll look at that more in just a minute. The second is marriage. Now, not every person is married, but most people want to be married. And we see, of course, marriage under attack. But he wants to divide our marriages and our family relationships. Number three is church and godly relationships. That's the third level of redemptive relationship in our life. And number four is authority. He wants to divide us from authority. And so God's will... Every person in an intimate relationship with him, a loving, committed marriage and family, a strong Bible-believing church, and in right standing with authority on every level. That's God's will. Satan's will is every person separated from God without committed and loving marriage and family relationships, without a church and rebellion to authority, welcome to America. That's exactly what we see. Is Satan working, the devil, Diabolos, working on every level to divide us from every redemptive relationship. And God has created us to need him and to need each other. God created everything he created, and he said it was very good except for one thing, a man by himself. He saw Adam by himself. He said, that's not good. That man, it's not good for that man to be alone. Marriage is of God. We need marriage. We need family. We need church. We need authority. Those are four redemptive relationships that God has put in all of our lives, and so Satan understands that. So his job is to divide us and separate us from every redemptive relationship, but we can easily overcome him. And so let's begin with God in us. He, he seeks to separate us from God. Well, how, how does he do that? We're going to look at what the Bible says. Uh, first of all, he accuses God to us. Listen, every bad thing that ever happens in your life, he will use as an opportunity to tell you God's no good. Every time you can't pay a bill, every time there's a problem, every time a person hurts you, every time that someone dies, 
prematurely or something happens to a loved one that we don't understand, it is his opportunity to try to tell us that God doesn't love us and we can't count on God. He's constantly accusing God to us. Genesis chapter three, where I ask you to turn there, the serpent was more cunning, more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, there's Satan, there's the adversary. He's questioning the word of God because he wants to take the word away from them. You shall not eat from every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Well, this is first of all, Lucifer trying to inspire pride within them and to get them to think about themselves rather than worshiping God. And this is also the devil accusing God. He's a liar. We, we can't uh, eat that fruit of that tree. God is a liar and he's an insecure bully. He's trying to get you, from, keep you from being everything that you could be. Let me just say something how good the devil is. He convinced two perfect people in paradise that the person who put him there was bad. You gotta admit he's pretty good at what he does. They had never had a sickness. They had never had a bad day. They lived in the presence of almighty God in a paradise of God. And the devil comes and tries to convince them that God was wrong and they sinned. And he's been doing it ever since. And what makes the devil so dangerous is stealth. This is his secret weapon. This is what we're gonna expose in this message right now, is he's stealthy. When the Bible says the serpent was more cunning, the, the devil could have taken the form of anything, any animal he wanted. The reason that he chose a serpent is serpents are stealthy. I saw on the news today this man that got bit by a couple of copperheads. He said, I was just walking along. Next thing you know, they were biting my feet. And so that's the nature of snakes. And if you have dogs, I think dogs are going to heaven. If you have cats, <laughs> if you have snakes, they're going to hell. Uh, snakes and rats are going straight to hell. I'm saying right there. So just let's settle that. So cats are, cats are going to heaven. Cats are going to heaven. I don't want all the cat people to be mad. Okay. So, so he took the form of a serpent because serpents are stealthy. So serpents slither up and you don't know that they're there. That is what makes him dangerous. Let me give you an example of this. So Satan tempts Adam and Eve and they sin. And then after they sin, remember Genesis 2.25 says that God made them naked without shame. There was absolutely no shame of their nakedness. Now, after they've sinned, they're ashamed. And God finds Adam and Eve, and Adam is hiding from God. And God says to Adam, what is this that you've done? And Adam says, I'm afraid because I'm naked. God says, who told you that? Now, God never asks a question to get an answer. It's not like God's going, well, I wonder how you got that. <laughs> Here's what God is saying. You know that serpent that you were talking to? As soon as you sinned, you gave him an opening because sin is an opening. And he used that opening to whisper into your spirit that you were sexually defective. Because whoever controls your sex controls you for generations. That's why Satan is so interested in this. Who told you that? See, you've been deviled and you don't even know it. If you don't know how to deal with the devil, if you don't know how to do warfare with the devil, he will slither in, slither out, and you don't even know you've been deviled. 
And this is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. It's what happens to people every day long, all day long, because we're dealing with Diabolos, but we don't understand how he wore. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. We're at war with the devil. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, everything that argues, all the arguments in our minds, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not guns and bombs and knives. The weapons of our warfare are God's thoughts. And we are taking every thought captive. Any thought that you don't take captive will take you captive. Let me say it another way. Any thought that you have not taken captive already has you captive. And this says that we're pulling down strongholds that were coming against, casting down arguments. Karen dealt, we, we both dealt with condemnation. I'll talk more about mine here in just a minute. But Karen, when I married her, I've never met a person with more self-hate and lower self-esteem than Karen when I met her, ever. And she would read the Bible and she would read the verses that talked about God's love and immediately there were arguments in her mind that says God can't love you. That's what it is. You know that there are arguments in your mind because you read the Word of God, it starts arguing. Your thoughts begin to argue with that. It says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, Satan does not want us to know God. So he builds strongholds within our thinking that try to keep us from knowing God. Condemnation, for whatever it might be, deception, whatever it might be in our minds. So how do you win this war against the devil? You take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The word obedience there means spear point. It means you're at war. And every thought that comes into your mind has got to be examined because Satan has access to our thoughts. Satan whispers lies into our minds, but he's stealthy. He's subtle. He doesn't advertise himself. It would just be so much easier if the devil would just knock on our door, we open the door, red suit, horns, bifurcated tail, pitchfork, I'm Satan, H devil, and I'd like to come in and destroy you. No, that'd be easy. But he's sly, he's subtle. And he slithers in and whispers a thought into our minds. You can't be saved. You've done too much to be forgiven. God doesn't love you. If God loved you, then why did he let this happen? If God loved you, why didn't he let you pay your bills? If God loves you, then why are there people doing better and you're not doing so good? Constant, constant constant. How do you know it's the devil? Because it doesn't line up with the word of God. Roman, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, you have a perfect father. He knows everything about you and he cares. Do you know that he knows everything about your life before you even pray? And he called his disciples, oh, you of little faith. That was his pet name for them. <laughs> oh, you of little faith. Sometimes the, the devil to this day the devil will come and something will happen and, you know, something bad happens or, you know, something. And, and to this day, the devil will come and begin to accuse God to me. And when the devil begins to accuse God to me, I know it's him because it's an accusation against God and it's not of the Bible. Okay. I take that thought captive and here's what I say to the devil. I have a perfect father and he cares about everything in my life and he's totally faithful. 
I will not let you separate me from my God, you evil devil. And before I knew, before I knew how to take my thoughts captive, before I knew how to expose the devil, working in my mind and the arguments and the strongholds and everything he was doing in my mind, it was constant, constantly. My mind was just constantly being attacked. And I thought, well, I love God, but does he love me? And why is this so hard? Why is, it, why is it so hard? Well, it was hard because I didn't know how to war. But the weapons of our warfare are not material. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful to destroy the devil. What are the weapons of our warfare? Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Every thought that comes in, there are no rogue thoughts in my mind. There's nothing there that's not being inspected. And every thought that comes into my mind, I put a spear under its neck and say, you're going to listen to what Jesus has to say. I'm taking you obedient to Jesus. And Jesus, tell this thought if it can stay or not. And according to the standard of the word of God, which is easy, any thought that accuses God, any thought that accuses you, any thought that accuses your spouse, your pastor, your church, or authority is of the devil rejected. You take that thought captive and you reject that thought. So he's constantly accusing God to us, using every opportunity he can, every problem to accuse God. Well, he's also accusing us to God. This is another way that he wants to divide us from God. This is Revelation 12. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Very soon, the devil's going to get thrown out of heaven, and God's sick and tired of listening to him. Yak. He accuses us before God day and night. So he, now when I say that the devil's not omnipresent, so he has an echelon of evil beings that do his bidding. So generally, we're dealing with relatively powerless demons. Their only power really is deception. They're very easy to overcome. But the devil is in the presence of God often, the Bible says, accusing us to God day and night. Let me tell you the good news. God doesn't listen to the stinking devil. There is not one chance that God will ever accuse you to God and God will listen to it. You know why? Because your advocate, Jesus Christ, is standing at the right hand of God. And he is there to defend us. So, so God will never listen to it. Here's the third thing he does to separate us from God. He accuses us to ourselves. And this is a huge one. Now, we all, we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. So we're in a constant state of imperfection. And the only thing that perfects us is the blood of Jesus. So, but we make mistakes. So when you make a mistake, the Holy Spirit convicts. And here's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, specific, loving, and helpful. Here's the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've known the Holy Spirit for 44 years. So you make a mistake. Here's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Honey, that's not good. So let's don't do that anymore, and I'll help you. Let's not do that anymore. It's okay. I love you. This won't do that anymore. Never angry, never threatening. He's precious. 
The devil condemns. Conviction is specific and sweet with an offer to help. Condemnation is general and there's no way out of it. You are no good. You are, you're, no, you're weak, you're pathetic. You've told God you wouldn't do that a million times and you've done that a million times. How many times are you gonna keep, keep telling God you're gonna change and you're not gonna change? You're not like other people. You can't be saved and you can't be forgiven. So stay away from God. He's sick of listening to your whiny, no good mouth. That's the voice of the devil. No help, no help, general condemnation. 100% of the time, it is wrong and it's of the devil. That's Diablos, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through our flesh. God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me tell you what's wrong about condemnation. It's about us. Grace is about Jesus. Grace... It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And what the devil wants to do is make it about us. And so when I was a young believer, I dealt constantly with condemnation, constantly. And I heard someone say this one time, every time the devil condemns you, praise Jesus for his blood. Because the day that Jesus shed his blood is the day that we were forgiven and the day that Satan lost his dominion over mankind. He hates listening to the blood. And so as a young, it works, it works. As a young believer, I would do something wrong for the jillionth time, and here came the devil to condemn me, and I would say, it's not about me, devil, it's about Jesus. And Lord, I praise you for your blood. I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and it's not about me, it is not about me. I will not let the devil make it about me, it's about Jesus. And God didn't send his son to die on the cross so he could condemn me or reject me. God sent Jesus to die so he could accept me. And I live by his grace. What the law could not do, as weak as it was through our flesh, the law proved that we could not attain to the standards of God. It's because of the spirit, it's because of Jesus, it's because of his blood. So understand this, Satan, the devil, Diabolos, is constantly trying to separate you from God with his constant accusations, you take those thoughts captive and you reject them and you live victoriously. And you can have an intimate, wonderful relationship with your perfect heavenly father because he is perfect. Number two, he's trying to separate us from our spouses. He hates marriage. Matthew 19, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? She burns the biscuits. That's, that's what they meant. That's what it meant, that women were property. There was no divorce proceeding. There was no divorce court. You, your wife made you mad. You walked through the front door, sent her away. He answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away, which Moses did not. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness 
of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Because of the hardness of your hearts towards your wives, Moses permitted divorce so there wouldn't be a murder or something like that. So let me ask this question. So, a lot of nervous people in here, I'm telling you right now. A lot of nervous people in this place. So, how does a person, how does a couple go from being so tender-hearted and madly in love to being so bitter and hard-hearted toward one another? And here's the answer, Ephesians 4. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to diablos. The devil, Diablos. Be angry. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger or you will give an opening to Diablos. So when you go to bed on anger, you have left an opening and he will slither in and accuse your spouse to you and slither out and you'll never know that you've been deviled. First of all, you're deceived. You, you believe a lie about your spouse. The second thing is you lose your passion. The passion leaves your marriage and you end up hard-hearted. Well, let me tell you what happened to Karen and me. So um, one of the things, Karen's family, this, this, our families got saved later, but Karen's family basically are yellers and screamers and stuff. When they get mad, they're very emotive. You know? And so when I married Karen, I thought they were crazy because they'd be yelling and screaming, and five minutes later, they'd be hugging each other and crying. You know, I just thought, these people are nuts. And so <laughs> in my family, you knew how mad a person was at you because they wouldn't look at you. We just didn't make eye contact. We didn't know how to talk. We didn't know how to process anger. So you knew that someone was mad at you because they wouldn't look at you. You knew they were over it because they looked at you again. <laughs> I thought, that's normal. So when Karen and I got uh, married and I would get angry at her, which was very often, I would just get quiet for two or three days and just to punish her, just to kind of a punishing. I'd yell at her. If that didn't work, I'd just get quiet for two or three days. So I went to bed on anger hundreds of times, and our marriage was awful. And um, so the night that we almost divorced, uh, I went, woke up that morning and I read where it says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. I wanted to play golf that day, which was a major issue in our marriage. Karen was objecting to me playing golf. And um, so listen to what I'm saying. After three years of marriage, 100% of what I thought about Karen was of Diablos. I had gone to bed on anger night I, I mean, Karen's the love of my life. We've been married 44 years. She's the love of my life. And I mean, I fell in love with her, but one drop of unresolved anger at a time, influenced by Diablos, took me from tenderhearted to hardhearted. And from believing the best about her to believing this, there's something wrong with her. I married the wrong woman. And there's nothing I can do until she changes. I accidentally married the devil's ex-wife. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. There's nothing I can do. I was 100% under the influence of those thoughts. And I came home and Karen began to confront me for playing golf. And I said, you get out of this house. Get out of this house and go back to your parents' house. I don't care where you go, just get out of my life. 
And Karen ran to the bedroom crying, and I went into the living room, and I just thought, well, this is it. This is the big one. We're about to separate. And I thought, I don't know what to do if she leaves. I don't know what to do if she stays. I mean, I just don't know. But I remembered that scripture that I had read that morning that the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth. And I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband because I don't know. First time I'd ever admitted any fault whatsoever. And something happened. Something fell off of my eyes. I mean, literally, it was like scales fell off of my eyes. And the minute before that, I thought, I'm Mr. Wonderful. What's her problem? I mean, honestly, that's what I thought. The next instant, I thought, I married the most precious woman in the world, and I'm a jerk. I had been deviled. Going to bed on anger had opened the door for Diabolos to come and accuse my precious wife to me, and it caused me to close my heart to her and believe lies. And it destroyed our marriage, almost destroyed our marriage. I believe almost every divorce is the product of this. So this is what I'm about to say. If you're a grudge holder, if you've gone to bed angry, you're under the influence of Diabolism. And you have deeply held beliefs about people that are lies. And those lies have separated you from those people. I'm not saying that all people are wonderful. Sometimes people have problems. Listen, when you're walking in love and forgiveness, you can trust how you feel. When it's consistent with the word of God. When you're walking in anger and bitterness, you can never trust how you feel because anger and bitterness that you go to bed on opens the door for Diabolus. And that day, what I realized is I can no longer justify this Evans dysfunction of going to bed angry and being quiet. It is wrong, it's dysfunctional, and it's opening the door to the devil. So here's what Karen and I decided. We're, gonna go, we're going to make things right before we go to bed. And here's what I have found. I become more humble the later it gets. <laughs> Seven o'clock, I got a lot of fight in me. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm still going strong. 10 o'clock, I might be wrong. <laughs> 11 o'clock, I probably am wrong. Midnight, it's all my fault. <laughs> but see, even if your spouse won't make things right with you, you can still devil-proof your heart by forgiving them before you go to bed. But we are committed, Karen and I are committed we are not going to let an evil devil divide us from one another because he wants to. And that includes your parents. That includes everyone in your family. He's constantly trying to do it. Number three, relationship. He's trying to divide us from church. Here's some things the devil probably understands that we might not understand. Jesus said, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. There is a special anointing of God's presence when we're together. God is always present with us personally. But when we come together as believers for the sake of Christ, he said, where two or more are gathered in my name, that means for the purposes of God, there I am in your midst. Why doesn't, the devil, why doesn't Jesus make us that promise when we're by ourselves? Because he doesn't want us by ourselves. 
He wants us to be together. Listen, the wolf loves the lone sheep that is separated from the flock. But the wolf never attacks the flock, especially when they're close to the shepherd. Matthew 16, 18. I say to you that you're Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is a special anointing of power and protection when we're together. This is Hebrews 10. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. That means the end times. It means don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. You guys are in church, so you don't need to be hearing this. But come together, exhort one another, encourage one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let me tell you, we're living in the most evil day in human history. And isn't it encouraging to come together with like-minded believers and encourage each other in the faith? It is. But everything that happens, you know, we've been in church, church saved our lives. Uh, in fact, one, one of the things that saved our marriage one time is I was being a bad boy and Karen called our Sunday school teachers on me. And uh, I came home and, uh, and she, I was, being real, I was being real bad. She said, uh, we're having dinner with Kermit and Ethel. I said, why? She said, because I told them and I called them and told them everything you've done. <laughs> well, that's sister. So we had dinner with them and they were real sweet and he turned to me during dinner and just basically told me he used to be a jerk like me. <laughs> I don't know where we would be today without church, but I'm telling you, we would be defeated. Church has saved our lives, but the devil is constantly accusing spiritual authority, constantly accusing us to one another. And we have got to be committed to one another the way that Jesus is committed to us. And to do that, we have to take every thought captive and never go to bed angry. And when we have a problem to work it out biblically in love and to believe all things and hope all things, endure all things, not to believe the worst, the way that he would love us to do. The fourth relationship the devil wants to divide us from is authority. All authority is from God. This is Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, for you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. If you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. All authority is from God. Remember, I'm going to talk next week about exposing the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is called the lawless one. The devil's a rebel, and he wants to incite us to rebellion. Why does he want to incite us to rebellion? Because authority covers us and when we're under authority, the devil can't touch us. James 4, submit to God, then resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Authority is not cramping my style. Authority is covering my life. And in order for the devil to destroy us, he has to incite us to rebellion. Because as soon as we're in rebellion, we're out from under covering, and then he can strike. And so he's constantly accusing authority to us, trying to tell us you're smarter than them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Look at them making mistakes and just constantly accusing. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they're doing. And I'm not talking about some horrible abusive authority, but I'm saying all authority is imperfect. And he uses every imperfection to sit there and question them and to accuse them until finally we rebel and then he's there. And we have to take those thoughts captive and say, it doesn't matter, devil, how smart they are, how good they are. They're my boss. They're my authority, and I'm going to respect them because they're my authority. And so Jesus, Jesus one time was, was talking about Israel, and he said, how many times I wanted to take you under my, hen as a, a hen, or under my wing as a hen gathers her chicks? And he was saying, if you would just listen to me and come under my authority, I would protect you. And so we have to remember all authority is from God. Church is of God, our, our Christian brothers and sisters. These are precious, important relationships in our lives, and they're worth fighting for. Marriage is of God. Family is of God. We're going to have to fight Diabolos. Everyone who succeeds in marriage is going to have to fight Diabolos. And the most precious relationship in our lives is God himself, and we're going to have to fight for that relationship because Satan, the devil, is constantly accusing God to us and us to ourselves. We have been equipped to overcome, but we must expose the devil in how he operates. He's stealthy, he's slithery, he's a liar, but we have authority over him and we need to use it. Bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, we come to you and we believe, Lord, we believe that we have been given authority over the devil. All of us have fought these battles, all of us will fight these battles. We take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus. We will no longer allow rogue thoughts, no matter how right we think they are, we will no longer allow rogue thoughts to come in our minds and accuse you to us or us to ourselves or our spouse, our pastor, our believing friends or authority. We take these thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus. And Jesus, you're going to decide what thoughts stay in our minds. We forgive everyone that we haven't forgiven. We forgive them right now. Spouse, parents, siblings, friends, boss. We don't want there to be any opening for Diabolos to come and lie to us. And Lord, we say this, we're going to fight for every righteous relationship in our lives. We are not going to be easy prey for an evil devil but we are going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And I pray, God, for every precious believer here right now and watching. I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon them, that you would heal them, that you would encourage them, and that you would make them whole. In Jesus' name.